Hey, good morning. Now you can see me. Um, hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Josh. It is great to be here with you today. I attend the Montrose campus, and by trade, I'm a banker. Um, and I always like to put that out there. So if I say something wrong, um, please email me. My email is Brett Bixby at Bridgewater Church. I don't actually know what his email address is, but no, it is good to be here with you today. Um, the worship team this morning sung some songs. I didn't ask them to sing, but it was really, really appropriate. Um, yesterday, I took my daughter to new student orientation to Mansfield University, and it's hard to believe, I know, it's hard to believe I, I have a college-age daughter, but um, she said to me, and I don't know what it means, so maybe some teenagers later can tell me what it means, but she said, that, that song that says, uh, you turn morning to dancing, that hits hard after dance class. I don't know what that means, but it was appropriate that that song was sung this morning. Um, and then we're talking about this idea of victory belonging to the Lord. Because we're fighting, we're, we're in the fight for our life. Um, we're finishing up this series today called The Fight for Your Life. And really, it is a series that has been talking about a number of different things. Um, but I want to start off this morning by telling you a story. So I was in my early 20s, and I found myself behind enemy lines. My objective was clear. I knew what I had to do to accomplish my mission. And somehow I got separated uh, from, from my counterparts. But I knew that I had to keep advancing. I couldn't just wait for them to catch up. The enemy hadn't seen me yet. And so I decided that I was going to continue to advance. And so I, I did the army crawl. And I got on my stomach and I was crawling. And they, they still hadn't seen me. And I kept advancing, moving from, from makeshift barricade to makeshift barricade. And then all of the sudden, they saw me. And if, if you're like a, a Lord of the Rings nerd, it was like that scene where the eye like shines over on me. And like everything began to focus on me. Shots were ringing out. And I tried to make myself small. And you can look at me and know that that's hard. It's hard to make this small, but I tried to get as small as I possibly could. I could hear my heartbeat in my ears. I could feel the sweat just pouring from my body. It was beginning to be hard. It was getting hard to see. It was sweating and I was so hot. And then the shooting stopped. And then I felt it, the sting, the burning sensation in my arm. And I looked down in my arm and I saw the blue paint. As I was now out of the game of paintball. Paintball is a game and it's a fun game. Some of you have lived that scene out in real life where it's not paint, but you're carrying a weapon that is designed for protection and defense and destruction. You're in a scene, some of you have lived that scene where you are literally in 
a fight for your life. You are facing an adversary, an enemy that is out there who has one purpose, to defeat you. I have never experienced that. I've never experienced being in a position where there is an enemy out there trying to take my life. We have experienced different types of enemies. For some, it's a visible enemy. And when we react to those enemies, our reactions are often very similar. But how do we react when we face an enemy that we can't see? Or an enemy that is, you might even say, invisible? Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we are to be alert, be sober-minded, or be clear in your thinking. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter is writing a letter to a church, and he tells this church, he says, keep an eye out. Because you're being stalked by an enemy. You're being stalked by a lion, and you can imagine what that looks like. Maybe some of you have found yourself out in the woods, and you hear the coyotes calling, or the wolves howling, and you've realized what that's like to actually be stalked. Well, you behave differently in those situations, right? Your senses are heightened. Your, your fight or flight instincts kick into high gear and you are ready for battle. You, you take advantage of noticing certain things, things that seem out of place. You pay extra special attention to your surroundings. And that's what Peter tells us we are supposed to do. We are supposed to be alert. Be sober-minded because you and I are being stalked daily by a real enemy. As we've been looking throughout this series, we've been talking about this fight for our life. And, and for, for many of our circumstances, for many of our weeks, the first three weeks, we looked at our enemy, our number one enemy, and maybe you didn't like it because we told you your number one enemy is you. You are your number one enemy. And we looked, looked at ways that when we don't identify that we are our number one enemy, when we don't identify and take care of that, we take ourselves out of the fight before the fight even begins. And as we wrap up, our series today, we're going to be looking at what Scripture tells us, how we are to fight against the adversary that is looking to take us out. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that the battle that we fight isn't just against flesh and blood. It's not just against those people in the world that you see, but it's a spiritual battle. He says in chapter 6, 
verse 11 of Ephesians, that we are to put on the full armor of God. When do you go, when do you put on the full armor? When do you gear up? When you're going to battle, right? We are to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities and powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly realm. Again, we have an adversary, and that adversary is not necessarily just people around you. But it's against the spiritual darkness, against the devil and his schemes. And the schemes of the devil, the desire of the devil boils down to this. He wants you to stop worshiping and obeying God. There is a spiritual battle for your life to keep you from worshiping the creator God. The devil, or Satan, as he's also called, he stands opposed to truth. He opposes goodness and he opposes life. John tells us in John 10.10 that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. That is the purpose of Satan. He comes to rob us of the goodness that God has for us. Earlier in John, John chapter 8, John describes Satan as a murderer, not holding the truth. He says there is no truth in him. Everything he says is a lie. He is the father of lies. Now, some of you are like, you, we have two reactions right now. I can almost boil it down to two reactions. Some of you are like, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's Satan. And some of you are like, seriously? We're talking about Satan? Like, that, that's really what we're talking about? And, and, and it's interesting because when I, if I were to ask you, describe Satan to me, I would probably get descriptions from many people in this room. I would get descriptions like, he's red. He has horns. He has a creepy mustache. Some of you have uh, the Caleb mustache. It's not creepy. Trust me, Caleb, you're fine. We love you and your mustache. We, he would probably say things like a pitchfork, right? He's got that trident with him. That's how Christians, people in this room, would likely describe Satan. It would look like this. Go and put that up there, right? That's what we think of when we say Satan. Likely, that's what comes to your mind. Go ahead and leave that up there for a couple seconds. If I were to ask non-Christians, people not in this room, describe Satan to me, First, they would probably say, not real, right? Made up. Or I would get very similar descriptions. So we have Christians and non-Christians describing Satan in the same way. A Christian college professor asked his students, he said, how many of you believe in God? And thankfully, every person raised their hand, right? That's good. And then he said, how many of you believe in Satan? 
very few people raised their hands. And one student said this. He said, how can any intelligent person believe in the devil in this day and age? The devil belongs to superstition along with ghosts, goblins, and things that go bump in the night. The mindset of a Christian college student is that the devil is made up. The devil is like a ghost or a goblin. I think our biggest problem with Satan is that we believe that that's what Satan is. That he's a caricature. Instead of looking at biblically what and who Satan is. See, in Scripture, Satan is described in many ways. And by its own name, Satan means adversary. So even by his name, he is an adversary. Satan was, just as a real, real quick biblical description, Satan was actually an angel. He was one of God's angels, created beings that rebelled against God. And since that time, we know that he has battled with us and with God. He's called the prince of darkness, the father of lies, the accuser, the trickster, the serpent. He, he speaks with eloquence. And when we think of that picture, that's very different than a caricature. Some of you struggle with this idea that Satan is real. Some of you can't comprehend how am I supposed to fight an enemy that I cannot see. Probably about 16 years ago, maybe 17 years ago, I was a youth pastor outside of Philadelphia, and I was working with this church, and, and one of my youth leaders that I had, his name, I'll call him Brad for this story, um, Brad was, if you can imagine, a modern-day Woodstock guy. That's what Brad was. Um, best guitar player I've ever seen or been around. But Brad lived the typical Woodstock life, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then one day, Brad gave his life to God. And he was jumped into the church, you know, Head, shoulders, everything. He gave it all. And Brad had three young daughters, and he had a wife. We'll call her Amanda. Now, Amanda was right around 5'5", five, five, blonde hair, pale skin. She also lived that same lifestyle that Brad lived, but she wasn't quite there. See, she was still living in the effects of that sex, drugs, and rock and roll. To the point where Brad and his family were trying to live for God and she was out prostituting herself for drug money. She brought home those drugs and would do the drugs in the house around these young girls. And her life was greatly impacted because of those drugs. And I remember Brad, he called me one night and he said, Josh, would you come to the hospital um, 
Amanda's here, and, and I'm not sure what's going on. And so I remember I drove to the hospital, and I saw Brad sitting there with his five-foot-five, blonde hair, pale-skinned wife. And she turned and looked at me. And in a deep, male, Haitian voice, she turned to me and said, Hey, preacher man, what do you think is wrong with me? And what are you going to do about it? Now, in that moment, there were very few things I could do. But that moment has changed me. That moment has helped me realize that just because I can't see an enemy does not mean it's not there. Just because I can't identify the struggle that is, just because I can't physically touch the struggle that is going on does not mean it is not a real spiritual force that is out there. Throughout Scripture, the Bible gives us ways to fight against the schemes of the devil. And you might say, Josh, I've, I'm, this has nothing to do with me. And I would urge you, I would urge you this morning that the schemes that the devil puts out against us, maybe we don't see them today, but they are there. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. From the opening scenes of Genesis with the creation to the end of the, uh, end of the Bible in Revelation, we see time after time where the devil is pursuing us. He's pursuing those who call themselves Christian. So we're warned to keep an eye on those schemes and be ready for those attacks. In the book of James, the writer James gives us a battle plan. And he gives four things. And so I'm going to give you four quick things this morning that will help us be prepared for those attacks. And understand, this is not my notes, this is not an if you face those attacks, if you face those spiritual warfare, when you face those attacks, when you face that spiritual warfare. This is a battle plan that is given to us in James so that we can face those things. In James chapter 4, we read this. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit? He has caused to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. James starts in this passage talking about who are you partnered with? He wants us, as we consider this battle plan, to begin with a thought of who are you partnered with? Do, do a self-examination of your own life understanding that there are only two choices. And I know most of you, if not all of you, would say, I want to be partnered with God, right? That, that would be an easy one. But real talk, who are you partnered with? Meaning, 
Are you in partnership with the ways of the world? I like the thoughts of the world versus I like the thoughts of God. And again, that we want to be over here, but when it comes to real topics, when it comes to real controversial issues, God says this and the world says something very, very different. And if you're not over here, then you're over here. And that's tough. Nobody likes to think about that. But James starts off by saying, where or who are you in partnership with? When we participate in those things of the world, we are opposed to the things of God. And so when we do that, we are identifying my ways are higher than God's ways. My thoughts are higher than God's thoughts. That's what that says. That's what that communicates by those actions. So James starts off with this. The first, the first step in this battle plan is this, and it's, it's really, really hard. The first thing he says in, chap- in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, submit yourselves to God. So we have to get humble. You want to fight against spiritual forces? You want to be ready for when the devil who's prowling around you goes to attack you? The first thing you've got to do is get humble. Humble or humility must be a marker of your life. Because pride is the currency of the enemy. And so we have to confront that pride. We have to to battle that pride and submit to God. When we we looked back to 1 Peter chapter 5, we have this image of a roaring lion. Now, what's a, what's a, a lion's characteristic? They're prideful, man, right? Even, even a group of lions is called a, a pride. You have this, this proud demeanor that a lion carries. And that stands in direct opposition to who we are supposed to be. We are supposed to approach God with humility. Submitting to God means that he decides for your life and for my life. He decides our morality. He decides what's right and wrong. He decides what's best. We know that he decided your beginning and he will decide your end. But I'm deciding to give God my heart and let him make what's the choices that are best for me. If you say, no, 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 I decide those things. I decide what's best for me. Then God doesn't have your heart. That's your pride speaking. And if if I'm being honest, if you say things like that, then you are, Scripture tells us that you are partnering with the devil. And you're not partnering with God. Proverbs 16 says that pride goes before destruction. One of the greatest defenses that we have against the enemy is to stay humble, not thinking of ourselves more than we ought to. Because pride is always the doorway to sin. So in in James's battle plan, we have to get humble. The second thing he says in in the second part of verse 7, he says, resist the devil 
and he will flee from you. So, so we have to get humble, and then we have to get serious. And part of that get serious is means we don't look at Satan like that character anymore. But we begin to look at this attack with a serious level of anticipation. It's interesting that we don't have a problem taking people who bother us seriously. We take those situations seriously. We don't have a problem yelling at someone who cut us off. I, we know who you are. You all live in New York. We know you drive. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have a problem handling a situation with seriousness, someone who's coming to hurt us or attack us or affect our kids. Right, mama bears? Right, there's no doubt that you're going to handle that seriously. But yet we don't fight with the same veracity against someone or something that's trying to spiritually rob us or physically harm us. So if we're going to get serious, we've got to approach it in three areas. The first is we've got to resist the devil. Understand that Satan is trying to lead you somewhere. And by resisting the devil, you're doing exactly what it sounds like. You are going to refuse to go there. To resist means to turn your face against something. And so it's this idea of turning and declaring, saying, I am not going that way. Maybe that's an audible declaration, or maybe that's a physical change. Saying to Satan, I am not on your team. The second part of getting serious is that we are to recognize the strategy of Satan. Satan's strategy boils down to two, two ways throughout Scripture. He wants to distract us from our purpose. James calls it friendship with the world. The devil wants to sidetrack us, sidetrack us. And how does he do that? Well, he does that with your appetites, but not necessarily limited to food. But we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. What do our eyes see? Well, we go after that thing because we want it. We pursue those things. And so he tries to distract us from a purpose by wetting our appetites with other things to look at as opposed to the things of God. We can become so distracted by those other things that we become ineffective. I just realized I left my phone down there, but the number one appetite teaser most of us have in a pocket or in a purse right now. Something else to look at, something to distract us from. We find ourselves, I hate Sunday afternoon when I get that alert that my screen time, anybody else get that screen time alert? Some of you are like, no, nah, I just shut that thing off because... That screen time alert tells me how much time I look at my phone. How much time am I being distracted? That's Satan's number one strategy is to distract us from a purpose. So we have to recognize 
that strategy. And then, so he wants to distract us, but he also wants to destroy our hope. He wants to give you no hope or, or destroy your faith in something, to, dis, to scare us or deter us, discourage us from following God. Have you ever noticed, and maybe some of you more seasoned Christians, some of you who have taken those steps down the road in that Christian journey, whenever you make a big decision, maybe it's a decision to join a small group or lead a small group, or maybe it's a decision to get baptized. What happens? Everything is roses and flowers and just wonderful, right? Not normally. Normally what happens is Satan realizes that we have taken a step and so he wants to destroy our faith. You are a fraud. You stood up here or here or wherever the baptistry goes and you let them put you underwater and you are a fake. They don't even know what you did. We were talking before the service about how after a talk like this, I'm just telling you, there is going to be satanic attacks. And that's scary. Because he wants to destroy our hope and our faith. The third thing that Satan wants to, to do as we begin to look at getting serious is and how we combat that is we need to realize that he's a loser. And that's fun to say. Satan's a loser, right? When you feel temptation from the enemy, James says, resist the devil and he will flee. Remind him and yourself. Christ has already defeated him. That song we sang, I'm going to see a victory. Why? The battle belongs to the Lord. Not, notice what scripture and that song do not say. It does not say, I might see a victory because Jesus is pretty good. It does not say that. How can we declare that we are going to see a victory? How can we declare that Satan has already lost? Because Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth and died, he rose from the dead. And because of that, we know that he conquered death. He already overcame that. Paul says in Corinthians, oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. Because Jesus Christ has already conquered Death. I, I love the concept or the mindset that we don't fight for victory. When you are in a competition or when you're on a sports team, you're trying to win. The, 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 the outcome has not been established yet, and so you're trying your best. Understand, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. We have already won. It just hasn't played out yet, but we've already won. So we get serious by remembering that he's a loser. James continues with the strategy in verse 8. 
Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. The third step, we need to get humble. We need to get serious. And the third step is we need to get holy. James understands that we have sinned, right? Let's do a little honesty check here. How many of you have sinned? Cool. My hand was up first, so cool. Okay. So we have sinned. We have at some point in our life, if you're anything like me, many points in my life, I have given in to temptation. I have given in to the attacks. I have given in to my sinful desires, and I have gone against the way of God. It's happened, and they still let me stand up here. It's happened. James tells us that we need to come back. Come back to God. Come back to the way that he wants us to live. Understand that there is not a line that once you cross, this wall goes up and you can never get back. I can never get back to the ways of God because I did something wrong. That's not how it happens. Because God's grace allows me, allows me to come back to him, to be welcomed back with wide open arms just because you messed up. Josh, you don't know what I did. You don't know how bad I am. Just because you messed up doesn't mean you need to give up. Christ purchased your victory on that cross. Christ took all of those sins, all of those, those ways that you went against his plan. He took all of those onto himself when he died on that cross for you. Unfortunately, guilt and shame for those things that we have done, they keep many of us captive. We identify ourselves by those sins. I am an alcoholic because I, I, I drink too much. And so that's what identifies us. We allow that to hold us captive because of what we've done, but the cross declares us free. Our response as we prepare to fight this enemy is to confess those things. To, to, James says to, to wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Confess those sins. Having Christ in my corner is one of the only ways that I can face this devil. It's the only way that I can truly know that I am going to overcome those schemes because he is there. And so that leads us to our last strategy. In verse 10, James says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you get humble, if you get serious, if you get holy, that's going to allow you to gain freedom. 
And freedom is awesome. James ends by saying these things, that when we humble ourselves before God, that will lead us to repentance and submission to his ways, allowing him to protect us. James says that he will lift us up. We will be free from the attacks of the enemy, free from the entanglement of sin. All those things that you used to do, you will no longer be bound by those things. He will lift you up. The feeling that comes from victory over walking away from sin, many of you have felt it. I've had addicts describe it to me. There's nothing more freeing than knowing that I don't have to go back to that needle. I am a child of God and he has rescued me from that. Whatever that thing is that is entangling you, following God, pursuing God, allowing God to dictate your life will lift you up. How can we do that? How can we know that that's going to happen? John says in 1 John chapter 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them, those things, those evils, those sins, those things that entangle you and ensnare you. You have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Man, if that's not encouraging. The one that is in me is so much greater than anything that Satan can throw at me. As we wrap up this morning, if you're here and you're like, wow, I picked a doozy of a Sunday to come and check out Bridgewater. Hey, we're glad you're here. We, we have real talk here. We talk about real things that scripture tells us. If, if the whole scripture thing, the Bible thing, God, Satan, if all that's a little bit foreign to you, this morning as you leave, you don't have to talk to somebody. You don't have to grab me. On the way out, on the, as you exit on the left-hand side, there's a welcome center. There'll be some people back there. They would love to talk with you. If nothing else, they'll hand you a Bible. They'll, they'll direct you to take your phone and download the YouVersion app. I would encourage you, if all this is new to you, on your YouVersion app or in your Bible, look up John. Start reading. Start in John and just read. Read until it makes sense. That's what I always say. Read until it makes sense. Because if you start, it will make sense. If you're here and this idea of a relationship with God is foreign, we would absolutely love to talk with you about what that means. Because that is truly the only way to overcome the things that are attacking us the things that are fighting against us. Now, I want to especially invite you back next week. Next week, we're going to start a series that is extremely practical. We're going to be talking about relationship goals, uh, looking at goals that you should have for every type of relationship that you face, we're talking friendships, marriage, parenting, Dealing with your coworkers. I'm preaching that one in Montrose. I'm excited about it. They, they bring the banker to talk about dealing with your boss. So, um, you know, it, we're going to be looking at these relationship goals. We have goals for everything, right? 
Why not have goals for your relationships? I'm really glad to have had the chance this morning to talk with you. Would you close with me in prayer? And as the band comes up this morning, God, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are greater than anything in the world. God, you are more powerful. You have overcome. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to this earth to die on our behalf. God, he paid a price that he did not owe. He died for my sins. God, this morning I'm so overwhelmed by that. God, I thank you that you have already won. The battle belongs to you. God, I thank you and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.